Well, good morning, everyone. Welcome to Riverwood Church. If you are a first-time guest, my name is Aaron, uh, lead pastor for Riverwood, and I am thrilled you guys are here this morning. When you guys came in, hopefully one of the ushers was able to give you uh, our handout. Inside of that is all of our announcements. Um, If you're a first-time guest, you'll notice inside there a connection card. Um, That connection card, our church family fills out every single week. We just write our first name, I mean our name at the top there, and then we use the back for prayer requests or signing up for various things. But if you're a first time guests and are willing to fill out the entirety of that card, the entire front, we will donate $5 to Compassion International on your behalf. Compassion is an organization that has a goal of releasing children from poverty in Jesus's name. So if you'd like to make just a small difference in the life of a child, fill that out. And then when we are done this morning, you can drop that in the uh, giving box at the, uh, on the wall by the door or on the, in the giving box by the main entrance. And uh, we would be honored to send that $5 on your behalf. And even if you are a first-time guest and you've got a prayer request, please feel free to use that backspace. Um, our elders meet every Wednesday morning and we pray through each of those cards. And so we would be absolutely honored to get to pray for you and with you on these things. Uh, let's see. I think I just have one announcement this week uh, that I want to draw your attention to. Uh, you can read the, the rest of that. Um, This Tuesday, we are serving at the food pantry, Uh, so if you are available to help out, feel free to use that link. It's bit.ly slash Waverly Food Pantry, and you can go and sign up, or if you uh, have no way to navigate to the web, uh, feel free to write food pantry on your uh, connection card, and uh, we'll be sure to get you signed up. Um, But we're serving this Tuesday, and if you are available, we could really, really, really use your help. Uh, There have been quite a few people, especially as the weather is warming up, who are in need of the uh, extra food, and so we need uh, plenty of volunteers. So if you can help out at 4.30 for setup or, and or 5.30 for distribution, we could really uh, use your, your help there. Well, uh, when Leanne and I lived in Cedar Rapids, um, I was talking with one of my neighbors, a guy by the name of Carrie. And uh, I found out that Carrie worked at a company with a guy from my church, a guy by the name of Bob. Now, I was on staff. The church was a large church, and I was the young adult pastor. So I worked with those, you know, college age in their 20s. I did a lot of weddings and very, very few funerals, and I kind of liked it that way. So I did not know Bob very well. Bob was in his, I, I would estimate, probably 40s, maybe his 50s. Um, and what I knew of Bob, he seemed like a, a pretty smart guy, uh, kind of on the charismatic side, you know, just like in his personality, seemed really, really smart and witty. But again, I, I didn't know him very well. But as I'm talking with my neighbor, Carrie, he says, Aaron, did you know that Bob is a star? I go, what? It, it turns out that Carrie was at a conference that their company took a whole bunch of people to, and Bob was going to be one of the speakers. And as Carrie is sitting at this lunch table, having lunch with one of his coworkers, this woman comes up and says, do you guys work at this company with Bob? And they're like, well, yeah. Like, what's it like to work with him? I just think he's amazing. And she just begins to gush all about Bob, wondering, like, can they, like, somehow, like, arrange for her to get the autograph or, like, just even a conversation? Because in her mind, Bob was a star. Now, we know that there are stars in Hollywood. There's stars in the, the music industry. There's stars in professional sports. But have you ever realized that there are stars in these small little niches, in, in these different industries, that there are bobs all over the place? There are stars, I, I've been learning through my, my kids, in the chess world. There are stars in Mario Kart Wii. There are stars in Minecraft. Stars in 
I mean, it, like cat advice, concrete research in there. I mean, like pick an area and there's inevitably some star, a bob in that area. Now, what I've noticed is that there teen, seem to be two primary reactions to this idea of these stars. Now, there's probably like dozens of reactions, but the two that I see the most. The first is I noticed people put a lot of attention on the star. Like it's, it's the kid with the poster in their bedroom. You know, it's the person who has a fan account on their phone, on, on Twitter. You know, it, it's the person who wants to dress a little bit like the, the star, or they hold the same opinions as the star. They, they can tell you all sorts of trivia about the star. They make everything about them, so they shine the spotlight on the star. The second reaction I've noticed is that rather than shine the spotlight on the star, they would like to get the spotlight and be the star. So they work really, really hard for the award. They, they clamor for the attention. They, they start social media accounts trying to get attention. And, and, and they do everything they can to get their videos to go viral, to get their book published and noticed. They, they volunteer for everything just in hopes that some people will see them and shine the spotlight on them. Today, as we get back into the book of Acts, we're going to see two of Jesus' disciples, Peter and John, have every opportunity to get the second reaction. But what we're going to see is that every time a spotlight begins to shine on them, they immediately go to the first. They immediately begin to shine the spotlight on their star, the star of the church, on Jesus. And my hope is that today, if you are a follower of Christ, you too will want to emulate them. You'll be a raving fan and shine your spotlight on Jesus. That you won't be the type of person who just wants to get the spotlight for yourself or just inevitably shine the spotlight on, on, on just some earthly star. But that you will make everything about your life all about Christ. So as we get ready to jump into the scriptures, let's pray. Heavenly Father, this morning is yours. These people are yours. These words we're about to read are yours. So we just pray, therefore, you use all of it for your glory. Accomplish what you want to today, what you need to do today. Your scriptures say that your word does not return void. So I trust that the things that we will see out of Acts 3 and 4 today will impact us, that this would not be yet just another sermon that we've heard, but rather we'd hear from you and that we continue to mold and shape us into that image of Christ so that we can more beautifully and powerfully and brighter shine the spotlight on Christ. And it's in his name we pray. Amen. All right, if you brought a Bible, I invite you to open it up to the book of Acts. We are returning back to our series in Acts, and we are ready for chapter three. Now, I'm going to warn you, we are doing a huge chunk today. Well, at least huge for us. I've heard of churches who've like done an entire book of the Bible in one Sunday. For us, though, we normally just take like a, a section. Today, we're going to do all of chapter three and half of chapter four. I was originally going to break this up across three weeks, but as I began diving into it this week, I realized, like, this is one big story, and there are certain things that we're going to be able to pull out because we keep it together as one big story. So I reshuffled my entire preaching calendar for this year to, to make all of those three weeks come into today so that we can see what God has for us. Um, so that means, unfortunately, we are not going to read the entirety. So my encouragement is later today or sometime this week, get out your Bible and read through from Acts 3, verse 1, all the way through 4, verse 22. 
too, all right? So read this on your own so that you can be reminded of what we hear today and also see some things that we were not able to get to. So because we can't read it, let me just give you the story in, in kind of short form. Uh, it's a story in three parts. There is a setup, a sermon, and a trial. The setup occurs in verses 1 through 10 of chapter 3. Peter and John, these two disciples of Jesus, are on their way to the temple to go to pray when this lame beggar asks them for money. Well, they don't have any money on them. And so Peter, some of you know this because of like kids songs or whatever, Peter turns to the guy and does something very strange. This is uh, chapter 3, verse 6. But Peter said, I have no silver and gold, but what I do have, I give to you. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise up and walk. And he, Peter, took him, the, the lame beggar, by the right hand and raised him up. And immediately his feet and ankles were made strong. Now, if you keep reading, you would see that the guy begins to dance and leap and follow them into the temple. And he's praising God. He's making a big commotion. I mean, he's probably been lame for much of his life. And now he can walk. And so he is so elated that it causes other people to take notice and a crowd begins to form. And that's what moves into part two, a sermon. Peter, being the guy who just can't help himself but to start talking, as soon as he has a crowd, he starts preaching. Just like we saw in chapter two, he does it again here in chapter three. He begins to preach and he preaches about Jesus. He talks about the crucifixion and resurrection of Christ. And as we're gonna see today, over a thousand people put their faith in Jesus on this day. But what happens is this huge commotion happens. I mean, all these people have gathered. And so it draws the attention of the temple leaders. And so they come and they arrest Peter and John, put them in jail for the night, and then bring them out for part three, the trial. And that's what we read about in chapter four. We read about this trial where some of the Jewish leaders, the Sanhedrin, the, this high court, they're questioning them all about this healing. And we're going to see what it is that they do. Now, in this three-part story, I see five things that these guys do to shine the spotlight on Jesus. And if you are a follower of Christ, I think these are five things that you should also do through your life. So we're going to talk today about the five ways through the story that we need to point the spotlight on Jesus. If you are a fill-in-the-blank type of person, today is your day. You like me. Sorry for all the other weeks we don't, but hey, you get a great doodle page otherwise. So the first blank you can fill in is actions. The first thing we see is that if you're going to point the spotlight on Jesus, you need to do it through your actions. When Peter and John headed to the temple, they were not headed there to go heal a guy. They were simply headed there to pray. In verse 1, it says that they were going up on the ninth hour for the hour of prayer. The ninth hour would be about 3 o'clock in the afternoon. And so they're just headed there to, to, to pray. They're Jews. This is what they did. But there's this lame beggar, this man who must have some family who cares, cares about him, that they would carry him each day to set him outside. Now, they put him outside this gate. The text tells us that it's the gate known as the beautiful gate. And so as people are walking in, he's asking for alms, for financial support. It was very honorable within Judaism to give alms. So as people are coming to pray, to worship, it would be natural that some of their worship would be including giving these pennies, these coins, to help this guy out. It probably was just enough to help this guy have enough to have the food that he needed. So he sees Peter and John and just immediately, hey, give me money. But they don't have any on them. But that's when it dawns on Peter. If I only gave you money, I'd only help you for today. 
I have something better that can help you for life. And he heals the guy. But notice what he says when he heals him. Verse 6. But Peter said, I have no silver and gold, but what I do have I give to you. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise up and walk. Peter knows that he's just a normal, average dude. Like there's nothing special about him. That he does not have the authority nor the power in and of himself to pull this off. The only person with that kind of power is the one who raised himself from the dead. The only one with that kind of authority is the one who'd been given all authority under heaven and earth from the Father. And so that is why he doesn't just say, I command you to be healed. He says, in the name of Jesus Christ, his actions are motivated by Jesus. He's pointing the spotlight upon Christ. Now, you may not have a spiritual gift of healing, but you can still use your actions to point to Jesus. You can still make the things you do ultimately point to who God is and the good things he's done for you. Now, sometimes those moments come spur of the moment, like it did here for Peter and John. This was not planned, but the opportunity came and they took it. But I think you cannot just do the spontaneous moments. I think you can also plan for these. Like, I think it's good to schedule out times to go and volunteer, to go and help someone, to take someone a meal, it's okay to plan these things. Colossians 3.17 tells us that whatever you do, whether in word or deed, do everything in the name of Jesus. So your planned moments, your spontaneous moments, use them to point people to Jesus. Let your actions point the spotlight on Christ. The second thing we see is that we are to point the spotlight on Jesus through our attitude, through your attitude. Back in uh, verses 7 and 8 of chapter 3, we see this man begin to, it says that he's leaping and praising God, right? Well, what happens is the healing takes place at the beautiful gate, just outside the temple. But then as you keep reading, you see that they make their way into the temple, and this man follows them. And back to verse 11, it says that he clung to them. They've just changed his life. So he is absolutely in awe of them. And so he's praising God for this healing, and this is drawing the attention of people. Now they're curious, what is going on? And this crowd begins to form. And in verse 11, we see that not only has this guy clung to them, but now the crowd is astounded. They have found out that Peter has healed this guy with nothing but saying some words, reaching down and pulling the guy up. Whoa, how did this happen? So word is starting to spread. This is the perfect moment for Peter to accept the spotlight. However, his attitude is not about him. His attitude is all about Jesus. Notice what he says in verse 12. This is Acts 3, verse 12. And when Peter saw it, he addressed the people. Men of Israel, why do you wonder at this? And why do you stare at us as though by our own power or piety we have made him walk? Peter's just a little, like, stunned. Like, seriously? You think, you think we pulled this off? Like, no, the only, the only person that could have done this is God. And he does it through the name of Jesus. This is his attitude. It's his demeanor. It's his entire posture. Too often Christians will happily go and do the actions that outwardly make it look like they're trying to point the spotlight on Jesus, but inwardly, 
they'd kind of like the spotlight for themselves. They'd like everybody to notice how much time they're sacrificing, to notice how generous they are, to see the way they're giving, because then they will feel holier, more loved by God. People will be so impressed by them. Now, don't go and say, well, Aaron, I, I can't volunteer at that. I can't help with that because I wouldn't be doing it with the right heart. I'd just be wanting the attention, so I'm not going to do it. Do the action, but when you notice your heart, pray and confess it. Just simply say, God, I don't want to do this for my glory. I want to do this for yours. So would you continue to humble me? Would you continue to purify me? But would you continue to work through me? Your actions are important. But for your actions to truly give that glory to God and point the spotlight on Jesus, your attitude needs to go along with it. So go ahead, pray. Ask God to purify your attitude. One of the ways that we notice I notice that Peter and James have this attitude is the fact that they had hung out with Christ. I mean, before they met Jesus, there's no way they would have walked into the temple and said to this dude, hey, you're healed. It wouldn't even have crossed their mind. It wasn't until they hung out with Jesus, heard his teaching, saw him do these miracles, and then pull off the greatest miracle, the resurrection. That's what begins to give them the confidence and the realization that God could use us in this way. We don't just give some money to help the guy for the day. We can change his life through Christ. And so this is what gave them the guts and boldness to do this. It was the time with Jesus. Your attitude is affected by your time with Jesus. The more time you spend with him, the more your attitude, your demeanor, your posture will reflect him. So spend some time talking to God in prayer. Spend some time just learning from Jesus through the scriptures. Spend time talking about him with your friends in a growth group or a friend over coffee. Spend time just going on a walk with Jesus out in nature. Spend some time thinking about him through your podcasts, the music you listen to. Last week during our restoration service, we were in Psalm 23, and we saw at the very end, we were invited to dwell in the house of the Lord. Or as we saw in our email a couple weeks ago, we are to abide in Christ. The more you abide, the more you just dwell with God, the more you just hang out with Jesus, the more he impacts you. And your attitude is now, I want to put the spotlight on him. So put the spotlight on Jesus through your actions, but also through your attitude. When you have this attitude, that leads into the third thing, that you need to point the spotlight on Jesus through your words, through your words. Right after the crowd gathers, Peter begins to preach. No surprise. This is just who Peter is in his personality. But we quickly see that Peter doesn't kind of go the route that a lot of our modern sermons seem to go of, hey, here's how Jesus can fix everything for you. It, it goes the route of, hey, Jesus died on a cross and rose again. And, and notice he doesn't hold back. If your Bible's still open there, look there in chapter 3 and look at verse 13. He says, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob, the God of our fathers— glorified his servant Jesus, whom you delivered over and denied in the presence of Pilate when he had decided to release him. But you denied the holy and righteous one and asked for a murderer, a guy by the name of Barabbas, to be granted to you. And you killed the author of life whom God raised from the dead. To this we are witnesses. Right, that, that's a little in your face but it's true. 
these events that he just described happened just a couple months before. And so, yeah, some of the people there in the, the court there at Solomon's porch, as we see in verse 11, they were the ones in the crowd yelling for them to release Barabbas. They were the ones yelling, crucify him, crucify him. And so his words are accurate and true. But I want you to notice, he's not trying to be a jerk. He's not about to launch into hellfire and brimstone. So therefore, burn in hell, you evil heathens. No, he gives them mercy and grace. Go down to verse 17. He says, and now, brothers, I know that you acted in ignorance, as did also your rulers. The reason Peter is able to give them grace is because Peter himself hung out with Jesus for three years, and yet there were times when he didn't realize who Jesus was. Like, here's Jesus, the Son of God, and yet Peter's a little scared of him when the the net is completely filled with fish, or when Jesus calms a storm on the Sea of Galilee. He he was a little confused at times when Jesus would say things, and, and Peter felt like he had to go and correct him. He also tried to act like he didn't know the star. He denied even having ever been with Jesus. And yet each time Jesus forgave him and ends up restoring him to give him now this platform to preach in Solomon's porch and see a thousand some people come to know Jesus. And so if God could give him that kind of grace, he's going to give the people that grace. Yeah, you're the ones who handed Jesus over to be killed, but you didn't know what you were doing. You didn't fully understand who Jesus was. You didn't fully understand what this was all about. But now I am here to tell you, here's what it is about. Jesus died on the cross for our sins, and he rose again from the dead. He can't help but let his words come through to the people, even when it might have pushed them away. Some of you know that this last March, uh, I got to travel to Roanoke, Virginia, to uh, support the Warburg wrestling team as as, uh, seven of the wrestlers went to nationals. Well, the very weekend after uh, uh, Division Three Nationals is Division One Nationals. And so I was glued to, to ESPN as much as I could, watching as much of it as, as possible. And uh, one of the wrestlers I really enjoy watching is a wrestler by the name of David Carr. Uh, David wrestles for Iowa State, much like his dad. His dad, Nate Carr, was uh, a very, very good wrestler in college when I was in high school. So I remember watching Nate. Nate went on to have great success So now his son David is trying to follow in his dad's footsteps, heads to the same university, and has achieved some of the same goals. Two years ago, David won the uh, national championship at 157 pounds as a sophomore. Last year, he uh, lost, uh, it was a big upset, lost in the quarterfinals, which puts you into the loser's bracket, and it is really hard to win out. But he did, ended up finishing third. It was a great accomplishment. This year, he made the finals and lost, ended up in second. The guy he lost to, he had just beat two times prior in the previous month. So he had beat the national champion twice. He just didn't do it when it mattered the most. And yet every time David has a microphone shoved in his face, whether he's won or lost, he points to Jesus. Every single time. I cannot remember an, an interview where I have not heard David talk about his faith. And his, his talk basically goes like this. Wrestling is not who I am. Wrestling is something that I just love to do. It's something that God gave me skills for. Who I am is a follower of Jesus. So whether win or lose, nothing has changed. I'm all about him. So I'm going to wrestle my best for his glory, but even if I lose, I can still worship and praise him. David just can't help himself. As soon as the spotlight is being put on him, he, he points it to Jesus. 
That's exactly what Peter and John do in this moment. As soon as the spotlight is being shown on them, whether it's by the guy who they healed or by the crowd that's curious, they start pointing at Jesus. But it's easy to point to Jesus when you're talking with friends who agree with you. It's easy to talk about Jesus when you're even with people who are curious and asking questions and wanting to know more. It gets a lot harder to talk about Jesus when you've got some people who don't necessarily want to hear it. That's exactly what happens to Peter and John in chapter 4. In part 3, when they get into the trial, they're being questioned in the early part of chapter 4 about this. I want you to notice their response. This is uh, Acts 4, verses 9 and 10. If we are being examined today concerning a good deed done to a crippled man, by what means this man has been healed? Let it be known to all of you and to all the people of Israel that by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified, but whom God raised from the dead, by him this man is standing before you well. Even in the face of this persecution, even in the face of the opposition, even in the face of those who don't want to hear it, they can't help but point to Jesus because it's all about him. Because they've already got this attitude that it's all about Christ, so it's going to come out through their words. Now, they're not jerks about it. They're not holding a bullhorn. They're, they're not being idiots. I mean, the, the very verse, I probably should have included it, but the verse right before this, they're very respectful. They, they honor them as the elders, even though these are the guys that handed Jesus over to be killed. And yet, they show respect, but they don't deny. They cannot back track on their words. This is what we saw. This is what we know. Here's what happened. They point to Jesus. Now, when you let your actions, your attitude, and your words point to Jesus, it inevitably ends up to the fourth thing we see, and that is you need to point the spotlight on Jesus through your invitation. Through your invitation. Back in chapter 3, if you need to flip back there or scroll on your phone, Back in chapter 3, right after uh, Peter has basically like, said to the people, um, you handed Jesus over to be crucified, but he gives them mercy. I, you, you were acting in ignorance. You didn't know what was going on. He then says this, verse 19. Repent, therefore, and turn back, that your sins may be blotted out, that times of refreshing may come from the Lord, presence of the Lord, and that he may send the Christ appointed for you, Jesus. He gives them an invitation to put their faith in Christ. He is giving them mercy, giving them grace, the same mercy and grace that God gave to him. He now extends to them. He gives them that invitation. This is the part where so many of us stop. We don't get to this. We're fine letting our actions point to Jesus. You know, I let my actions do my talking for me. Or we might have the right attitude. We're out serving with the right heart. We may even get bold enough to be like a David Carr and say, well, you know, everything I do, this, this is for God. But we stop short of the invitation. Would you want to put your faith in Christ? Why are we so hesitant to do this? If Jesus is as great as he is, if he is truly the star of not just the church, but the entire universe, why do we seem to stop short? Because in our culture and day, it's weird. It's awkward. It's okay to admit it. Because too often, we may be trying to say it with people with whom we don't have the relationship. So here's my advice. 
practice inviting. And I don't just mean on an evangelistic way. I mean, invite someone out for lunch or to coffee. Invite someone to a party at your house. Invite someone to come to a Sunday morning worship gathering. Invite someone to your growth group. Invite someone to serve at the food bank with you. Invite someone out to a movie or to go golfing, to to watch the, the latest sports, whatever's happening. Just begin to invite because an invitation says, you matter to me. I'd like to hang out with you. Who wouldn't feel honored by that? So extend the invitation. Take baby steps. Because the more you invite them into your life, if the conversation is led by the Spirit to a place where they're hearing the gospel, and you then extend the invitation for them to put their faith in Jesus, it's not nearly as weird and awkward. It actually could be a very beautiful, life-changing moment. So, We need to point the spotlight through our actions, our attitude, our words, and our invitation. But there's one more, and I believe this is actually the most powerful one. We need to point the spotlight on Jesus through our trials, through your trials. I alluded earlier that uh, Peter saw over a thousand people put their faith in Christ. And you may be wondering, well, how do I get that? Because maybe you've been ignoring me and you've been reading through there. And you're thinking, I don't see where it says that, Aaron. Well, here's how I get to that. In chapter 4, verse 4, it says that the number came to 5,000, meaning people who put their faith in Jesus. It's not 5,000 in that day. It means 5,000, and it's very specific. It says men. 5,000 men are now a part of the church. So here's how I think that 1,000 people put their faith in Christ that day. Back in Acts chapter 1, we discovered that the church is about 120 people. In Acts chapter 2, after the the Holy Spirit has come down at Pentecost and then Peter preaches to the people, it says that 3,000 were added to their number. So we're now a church of 3,120. Then at the end of chapter 2, we see that the Lord is adding to their number daily those who are being saved. Well, Jews were a very relational uh, uh, community. And so it's not like us Americans where you might see one or two people put their faith in Christ. It would be entire families, entire sections. So we're talking dozens of people every single day. Well, if this has been taking place over a course of a couple months, we've now seen probably hundreds, maybe even a thousand more people. So now the church is probably somewhere around 4,000 people when this moment happens in Acts 3. So when he preaches to this crowd, and it says that now the church becomes a a church of about 5,000 men, not counting the women and children. To me, that says it's mostly guys who were there at the temple. There was a a court for for women, so there could have been some women in the, the audience, but the majority would have been male. They believed him and put their faith in Jesus. Now, I believe that there were some people there who heard this and did not put their faith in Jesus. So we could be talking a crowd of like 2,000. A lot of people. No wonder the temple leaders felt so threatened. That suddenly these people who've shown up to, to pray at the, the, the Eastern Wall and, and, and our West Wall, suddenly they're like not doing what they're supposed to be doing and they're all now listening to this guy. So they, they're going to figure out what is going on. And as they approach, they hear him preaching in the name of Christ. And whoa, 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 we got to put a stop to this. And so they, they work their way through the crowd, arrest them, hold them overnight, and then bring them before them the next day. You've already heard how when they question them about the healing, how did it happen? And he's already pointed to Jesus through his words. But what we didn't get to in the story 
is that after they've learned from Peter and John what, what took place, they had them set outside the council chambers so that they could deliberate. They're trying to figure out, what do we do? Because everyone saw this lame man. We've all seen him. We all walk in every day. We know this guy. And now he's running around walking. This guy's over 40 years old. He's been lame his whole entire life. How did this happen? So they can't deny it. But they're like, but we can't have them preaching about Jesus. So they're like, we're just going to tell him, stop. These Jewish leaders are so used to having the respect and authority that they could basically tell people something to do and they would do it. And so they think this is enough. They think if they just say it strongly enough, if they say it threateningly enough, that they'll give in, they'll kowtow, and Peter and John will be quiet and then this can all go away. So they bring them back into the chambers, stand them there and say, you will not preach in the name of Jesus ever again. And this is their response. This is uh, Acts 4, uh, verses uh, 19 and 20. But Peter and John answered them, whether it is right in the sight of God to listen to you rather than to God, you, you must judge. For we cannot but speak of what we have seen and heard. Here they are facing incredible pressure, incredible op uh, opposition. They are, in a sense, being persecuted and they are being told, never again. And yet, even in the midst of this trial, they can't help but point the spotlight at Christ. I don't care what you say against me, what might be happening, I still am going to give all the glory to God because we cannot help but speak about what we have seen and heard. Your trial might be the very thing God uses to help someone else find Christ. I mean, don't, don't get me wrong. Your actions can be powerful. I hope you do it with the right attitude. Your words could be life-changing. Your invitation might totally change someone's entire eternity. But your brightest spotlight could potentially shine in your darkest moment. Years ago, uh, our church in Cedar Rapids was growing incredibly rapidly. Shortly after I was hired, we added a third service early Sunday morning. And then... Uh, uh, we uh, still were growing, and so we started a Sunday night service. It was just like the, the morning services, but what we did was we asked the people, hey, would you not come on Sunday mornings to create more space for other people and instead come Sunday nights, 5 o'clock? And so my family chose to worship Sunday nights, 5 o'clock. And there was this family. We always sat in the, the same area, kind of in the front right, and there was this family, the Cisco family, that always sat right in front of us. And so each Sunday, we just slowly started to get to know Aaron and Shannon. Now, because I was on staff, I knew that Shannon was battling cancer. But by getting to know them, we heard more and more of their battle. And they fought hard. She was in stage four. I don't remember exactly what type it was. I just remember it was, had moved through her entire body. And yet, how she was able to still come to church on Sundays and, and keep doing life, it was remarkable. But after they had exhausted pretty much every possible course of action here in America, they even did, and this is like before GoFundMe and stuff, they raised money and flew to Europe to do this very experimental treatment because they tried everything. And yet, as much as the spotlight was on them through her battle and cancer, people were like, we're praying for you, giving them money. Aaron and Shannon were so inspiring to me because they used it all to point it to Christ. One day, Shannon shared with me that she was uh, talking with her mom and her mom just breaks down in tears. Mom's like, Shannon, I'm just so worried for you. This, this, this cancer is going to take your life. And Shannon says, she looks at her mom and says, 
mom, I'm not worried for me. I'm more worried for you. And, and Shannon's mom's like, what, what do you mean? Like, I don't have to eat for cancer. You do. And Shannon's response was, but mom, if I die, I know exactly where I'm going. I'm worried for you because I don't think you truly understand who Jesus is and what he's done. And I don't know that you would be in heaven with me. Shannon ended up sharing the gospel with her mom and her mom put her faith in Christ. Well, Shannon ends up discipling her mom. And a couple weeks later, Shannon's mom is just like, I've got to share this with my friends. So they started a Bible study. Out of that Bible study, I, I can't remember how many, but I think it was like three or four women put their faith in Christ. As this is happening, Shannon and Aaron's uh, uh, daughters, they had a, a early 20s and late teens. The, the daughters had totally walked away from Christ and the church. And they began to come back and, and, and find their faith in Jesus again. At work, Aaron was just sharing with the guys what was going on. A couple of his coworkers put their faith in Jesus. One of those coworkers ended up becoming a son-in-law. The other one, 10 years later, becomes a deacon at this church. All because Shannon and Aaron didn't let this cancer just get the spotlight on them. They used this trial to shine it on Jesus. Now, I wish I could say that God miraculously healed Shannon and she's living to this day. But a year after we moved away from Cedar Rapids, we'd heard the news that Shannon lost her battle with cancer and had passed. So in a sense, God did heal her, but he just didn't heal the body here. He let it be there. But I could tell you, that the heaven Shannon is in will be looking differently because how she and Aaron used their trial. Because there are a whole bunch more people who are going to be there because they didn't let this cancer just give them the spotlight. They used their trial to shine the spotlight on Jesus. Now, I do not tell you this saying, so whatever you're going through, just buck up. Just come on, just get with it. Because to do that makes you feel like, so Aaron, you're just saying blind faith. Like just believe God no, no matter what, right? That, that's not what I'm saying. This is not blind faith. Because if you are a follower of Jesus, you've already seen the cross and the empty tomb. You know what God has done for you. And if you have put your faith in that, your eternity is secured. And so you can trust God through the battle with cancer. You can trust God when you're facing rejection. You can trust God when the bank account doesn't have enough. You can trust God when the relationship isn't what you want it to be. Because you see what God has done for you through the cross. You see the resurrected Christ. And that will help you make it through the trial. As well as provide you the words, the attitude, the action. And give you the guts to put the invitation on your lips. When you keep your eyes on Jesus, you will end up putting the spotlight on Jesus. So God wants you to use all things. He wants you to use your actions, your attitude, your words, your invitation. But he even wants you to use the trials, the hard times, because that might be exactly what God does to shine the spotlight the brightest. So Heavenly Father, I just pray that you'd make us these kind of people, that we would be like Peter and John. We'd be a little bit like David Carr. We'd be like Aaron and Shannon Sisko, who use all things to point the spotlight on you. Because you, Jesus, came to this earth, leaving your throne in heaven for us. You, Jesus, went to a cross to die in our place. And you, Jesus, had the power and authority to raise yourself from the dead. And you have now raised us spiritually from the dead. We were dead in our sins, but you have made us alive in Christ. And so because we can see that, we can follow you and trust you. I pray, Father, you would make us raving fans of Jesus.
that we would think about you, we would speak about you, that everything about us would reflect who you are and what you've done. God, help us to be the kind of people who would truly use all things, that everything, whether in word or deed, would be done in the name of Jesus that we would be people who any sort of spotlight that tries to shine on us, whether positive or negative, we would simply turn into a mirror and redirect that light upon you because we could not save ourselves. We, We do not have any sort of power and authority to do that. No matter how nice we try to act, we can never fully accomplish it. It is only through you, Jesus, that these things came to be. So that is why I pray that through your Holy Spirit, you would help us to be like Peter and John, that, we would, that in everything, we would make it all about you because you, Jesus, are to be the star of the, not just the church and not even just of the universe, to be the very star of our lives. And it's in your name we pray, amen.